Oh my stars, I am so thrilled you're here. My name is Kai Graham and welcome to another episode in my podcast, The Parent and Teen Toolbox, which is designed to equip parents and teenagers with the tools for navigating adolescence. I've been in the trenches of parenting and now I'm on a mission to help parents support their teenagers so that together we can build a mentally healthier and happier generation of young people. Each week you will receive learnings and takeaways that will help you tackle the challenges and the oh shit moments that are often associated with parenting tweens and teens. I have your back and I'm glad you're here. Hello, you wonderful lot. Um, you're going to love this one, especially, especially if you are a mum or a dad. Uh, let, let, let's include everyone here. But if you are struggling or find yourself sort of at a loss with what to cook your darling angels each day, because especially with the summer holidays that many of us have at the minute, um, feeding our kids is it, it becomes a chore rather than through an enjoyment. Um, and we run out of ideas and we don't know what to give them. So Julie Krugmanaka is uh, she's here to talk to us all about how to sort of spice things up a bit and how to um, create food that our kids love. Hurrah! I can't wait to hear it. Julie is a pharmacist, a chef and a mother of twins. And she is passionate about empowering mums to help their family become healthier. Now, Julie always thought that she was healthy, but when she tried to get pregnant, she found out that she had a form of infertility, which was related to diabetes, and it was from eating too much sugar. She changed her diet, and with the help of fertility treatments, she was able to have twins. Now, she didn't want her kids' health to limit them from achieving their dreams, and she soon realized that if she wanted her kids to eat healthily, then it needed to taste good. Is this ringing true with any of you guys? Julie went to culinary school where her kids, when her kids were young, and she combined that experience with her background in research to craft healthy recipes that are bursting with flavor. She shares her recipes, healthy cooking tips, and how to involve kids so that mums can take control of their family's health by making meals not only easy, but healthier and those that taste amazing. Julie, you are a godsend to this audience today. I am so glad you're here. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting because I think the thing is, is when we start out with um, uh, family life, we suddenly sort of realize, yeah, okay, we're sort of, you know, when, when our kids are little, we sort of start cutting sandwiches into shapes and we sort of start doing pancakes that look like something from Star Wars or whatever it is. And it becomes an absolute chore. It becomes, it, it, it's hard work, isn't it? Trying to sort of, you know, even when our kids are little, do you remember when here's the aeroplane or here's the choo-choo train? We are permanently trying to sort of feed our children the right stuff. And, and it pureed spinach and apple doesn't cut it. They want to go for the sort of the chocolatey things or the unhealthy things. So you're here to sort of shed light and give us some sort of pointers. So tell us a little bit. More to the point, how you ended up doing this? Well, um, you know, like you said, I, you know, I struggled with fertility and I had my kids. And really, you know, when you have your kids, your your life kind of changes. You just 
you're looking at everything from a new perspective. And, you know, I had these two kids that I worked so hard (laughs) to get. Um, And, you know, in terms of fertility treatments, you know, shots and surgeries and all sorts of stuff. And it just, you know, it just hit me that because I didn't eat well, because I ate too much sugar and, you know, and I thought I was healthy. Yeah. I, I wasn't able to, you know, achieve my dreams of having my kids. And, you know, I just was thinking about everything that I did as a child, you know, having my soda and all of, you know, all of the normal kids stuff and how that led me to not being able to have kids. And I just, you know, I thought, I don't want my kids to do this. I just, I want them to know that healthy is a way of life and that's just how it is. Yeah. And, you know, I just want my kids to grow up without knowing the burden of chronic disease and just, you know, this is just what we do. And it's not a constant struggle. Oh, I really want this, but I need to eat this. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's really what motivated me just trying to get my kids, you know, or wanting my kids to be healthy. Because I, I think when they sort of start off, they don't know any better, do they? And they, they, they sort of, they basically are given whatever's put in front of them. And then, of course, they sort of hit the terrible twos and they don't want anything or they, you know, insist that anything green on the plate's not allowed. But it, it, that, that sort of is a joke and it's a bit of a quirk and ha ha. But as kids get older, if we don't educate them, and as you say, create the norm that this is sort of healthy because you know this is healthy food but it's great i think we inadvertently educate our kids into good foods and bad foods and it's a bit like eat your greens and then you can have a pudding and and it's it sort of it, the messages that we are sending out to our kids is it's it's conflicting and they tend to sort of think that sugar tastes good and so therefore nothing else will do and and that's and and that's the problem isn't it is and and then gosh for flip's sake they get to teenage years and they're sort of you know you find that they might like your lasagna so you give it to them 25 times and then don't blame and blame them they're absolutely sick to death with it so we need to add variety but and, and excitement about food i think and i think mums find it hard to drum up that excitement after years of kids pushing stuff away well, and you know, one thing you really touched on was the the sweet that everyone loves sweet. Well, we get rewarded. We get rewarded in our brain with happy chemicals when we yeah. taste sweet and actually when we taste, you know, anything that our body, you know, needs. And way back when we were being uh developed, sweet was rare. It was only in the form of fruits that were seasonal. And so we would taste that and it would tell us, oh, you need to eat this. It's going to give you good, you know, some good uh, energy. And the problem is the food. The problem is the food today is so hyper stimulating and it's got so much sugar. It's got so much. And so we get, we get the taste on our tongue and we get used to it. And so the level of sweet that we need is actually more, and it just keeps going up, up, up. So the level of sweet we need is more. And so 
we become intolerant to these other these other tastes. Well, intolerant. You're quite right, and it just the other tastes aren't as exciting, so they're boring. So therefore, why would our brains seek them out anyway? Exactly. Well, and you know, I I really harp on the sensory experience of flavor, and I think really the key to making healthy food taste amazing is inputting all of our senses, you know, involving and engaging all of our senses and making it exciting. And there's tons of ways that you can make your food taste better and make it more exciting. But, you know, kind of back to the sugar, one really big thing is if you and your family are getting tons of sugar, it's going to be really tough. It's going to be really tough because you have that really high threshold of sugar that you need to really even be able to taste it. And so oh, right. if you're getting, you know, so much sugar, you're you're not going to be able to appreciate those other, you know, flavors, you know, some of, you know, the bitters and um, you know, the sour. It's just it's not going to taste right. You're going to want the sugar. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we're, we're going to talk um, a, a bit about you. You've given us, thankfully, thank you so much. It's in, it's going to be in the show notes, um, uh, a guide to, you know, your sort of your ideas, how to sort of, dare I say it, spice up food, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, and we're going to, we're going to sort of relate to that, but let's just stick to the health bit for a point from sort of for a minute, because, you know, Obviously, you you sort of touched on your story about you know sort of your your struggle to get pregnant to begin with, but it, it, the diet did, did it sort of, it impacted your son as well. Is that correct? That is true. So you know, like I said, I I struggle with the fertility. You know, I changed my diet and I really started looking at the sugar in the foods. And let me tell you, it's not just about sugar, but, you know, because I had such a big issue with sugar, that was the big thing that I was really looking at. And I realized once I started looking that I could see how much yeah. sugar and it's actually the added sugar, the extra sugar that is added into the products. So anyway, that was really the big thing that I focused on. And, you know, I've been very, uh, very cognizant of sugar and especially with my kids, you know, not giving them much added sugar. But it really, last year, it really impacted my family. Last year, my son was diagnosed with leukemia. Right. And at diagnosis, they basically stratify risk and say, okay, what risk group are you going to go into? And that really shows your treatment. And so when they, um, when they did this, they looked at his white blood cells and his white blood cells were about 14,000. And the, uh, the risk like threshold is 50,000. So anything under 50,000 is good. Anything under 50, or I'm sorry, over 50,000 is bad. And by good, I mean, lower risk, um, lower doses of chemo, not as long treatment, you know, that kind of thing. So he was in this lower risk category. And let me tell you, he had no immune system at the time. It his immune system was 95%, um, uh, leukemic cells, 
So, I mean, the leukemia was everywhere, but his white count was low. And I absolutely know it was because of the low sugar diet. Brilliant. Yeah. Because sugar feeds cancer. Cancer eats sugar and grows faster. So the less sugar that you have, the less you're feeding cancer. So I absolutely know that having a low sugar diet and, you know, really just trying to have a healthy lifestyle, it, it saved my son. That is And, you know, it's crazy because you don't know what's next. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. There is no way I would have predicted. My son was so healthy. I mean, he maybe had the sniffles once or twice in his, you know, four years from last year and then to develop cancer, you know, he's, he's five years old now. Is that correct? He's five years old now. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, wow, what, what an extremely emotional time, but also dare I say it. And I, I, I say this without sort of sounding glib, but the celebration that he was 14,000, you know, as opposed to what could have been is, I mean, that's, I, and I presume that the, the the treatment that he was received was less invasive. Is that fair? And, and and you know was didn't go on for so long. Well, he's still under treatment now, and leukemia. It's you know it's a a tough cancer because it's in the blood, so it goes everywhere. So yeah. you know the treatment is pretty intense. Um, I'm definitely not saying that he's had it easy because we have had a um, you know, a really, a really tough year, you know, chemo yeah. is, is not good for anyone, it, no, but true. I can't even imagine if we had been in the higher risk and he yeah. had to have higher doses of chemo Absolutely. and for longer. Um, I just, uh, I just can't even imagine, yeah. but he's, he's doing great right now. He's doing really great. Um, you know, started to chunk up a little bit cause he lost a ton of weight, you know, on the chemo just, yeah everything, just everything going on, but he's doing great right now. Bravo, mama. Well done. That's, and, and that is, um, cause I think the thing is when our kids are sick, we feel, um, powerless sometimes, don't we? And yet inadvertently what you have been doing is contributing to, um, him sort of rec- recovering as quickly as possible. I think, well, I, I agree with that. I think actually what was the most powerful was that I set him up for success totally. because he okay. went into that, into the diagnosis with the best, you know, foundation yep. you could possibly have. His nutritional status was amazing. And by the way, this is in the middle of COVID. And, you know, he didn't have an immune system for, you know, I don't know how long before he was diagnosed and, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't getting sick. So, you know, it's just, I, I feel like I really set him up for success, for having the best basically tools and, you know, foundation that we could have so that he could make it through all of that treatment um, and <laughs> come out. Okay. Um, and just, you know, he's got a, an estimated 95% cure rate. So we're, 
really just, you know, excited about that. That's just brilliant. That's, that's beautiful to hear. And, and prayers and thoughts are walking alongside you and, and, you know, sort of, um, here's to his healthy and speedy recovery. Um, but as you say, you, you set him up for success. So that that's fabulous. And it's wonderful to hear how having that low sugar and healthier and more exciting diet, let's face it, um, has contributed to you guys, um, you know, so, well, you, you being able to have a family, for, first of all, and you getting them the, the best sort of possible chances to live a sort of happy and healthy life. Definitely. And, you know, um, so, so um, one thing that I think really helps with kids is really empowering them to own it, you know, to take charge and to really, you know, want to eat healthy because, you know, like you had said before, it's, you know, you eat these greens and then you can have yeah. ice cream after, you know, it becomes something that you have to get through. Yes. But there's a, you know, kind of a mental switch where if you can get them to own it and, and buy in, then you've got a whole different conversation. And I'm certainly not saying that my kids eat everything because they certainly don't, but, um, you know, involving them and, you know, from an early age, you know, if they can sit up, they can help. So, you know, involving them, it really helps to give them ownership over a meal. Um, you know, letting them be exposed to, these healthy foods in a a manner that is not making them eat it. So like using a salad spinner for the greens instead of saying you have to eat this. So just getting them used to it and getting their buy-in and letting them come to terms with it. Um, another thing that I I do is I I look at what my kids are interested in. Like my son, for instance, uh, he wants to be a superhero. So we're always talking about how the foods are going to help him become a, a better superhero. And so, you know, when we have to make these decisions and, you know, they're five now, it's, you know, such a different world than, you know, when they're one and I control everything. Yeah. But they have opinions now. Wait till but... they're 15. <laughs> It'll be even different again. <laughs> exactly. But you know, giving them that ownership and you know the um well you can eat this or you can eat this. This one's gonna help you with your you know superhero kicks and your punches and you're gonna be a better superhero if you eat this one versus okay that one's going to make you not feel so great which one which one do you want and it, you know giving them that power to make their own decisions it really it really helps it really helps getting their buy in i think you're quite right and and that's the buy in is the important thing because i remember that my kids um they were fine up until about sort of 5 or 6 um, and then I think probably when they sort of started going to school and they were sort of being, um, you know, seeing what was in other people's lunchboxes, 
and they were sort of seeing what they were being served at school because they had school meals. And it, that sort of opened them up to a different world to what was just usually going on at home. But it's not only that. It, it was, you know, it was after a while, um, you know, when they sort of get to the sort of tweens, teens, they, get, they can get a bit stroppy about the food that they sort of have to eat at home. So I swapped it around and um, got them to cook and, and to, you know, sort of have some, put some effort into producing the meal. And boy, you're right, that buy-in, didn't that change things? Because they actually, rather than just sort of sitting at the table and something appearing on the plate and going, I don't like that, or I had that yesterday, they now, because they created the or helped create the food themselves or the meals, they were actually buying into it they were actually well encouraged to eat they because they had that they had that investment in in what the the what went to producing it exactly they understand the effort that went into yeah. it yeah rather than just thinking it appears by the food fairs but i think also you're quite right is um you know you sort of say about having the the sort of the superheroes and 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 great because I did exactly the same with Power Rangers with my kids but when we get to the teen years and this is the the sort of audience we're talking to sort of primarily on this podcast um, I think it's a great way of suggesting role models as well and understanding you know as you sort of say or if they are interested in in sports or something it's it's helping your children understand that yeah Having a cookie might be absolutely fine, and and that will give you that instant hit. But if you're going to go and I don't know, do sort of football, soccer practice, or something like that in an hour's time, that ain't going to give you the energy. And so it's teaching them the foods that they need to provide them with the energy that they need to do the things that they want to do. Is is you know that is that about right? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And, you know, it could be anything because food, you know, we are what we eat and yeah. food does everything from, you know, immunity, all of this COVID. So if we are fueling our bodies and fueling our immune system, then we're going to be more protected and we're going to help this pandemic end where you can go see your friends better yeah. <laughs> or more frequently um, to concentrating better, you know, sugar, you get those ups and downs, those highs and lows, and you're going to be hungry. And so having things with healthy fats, that's going to help you sustain energy, you know, for longer and help you concentrate better, help you do better in school. So, you know, for anything, for anything that someone is interested in, there is an explanation as to how food can help you. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, I, I would love to sort of um, move and touch on the uh, the pointers that you gave us in, in the download. And I think um, one of the ones that we we both one of the um, sort of flavor tips that that we both sort of loved was we know that when you know food needs to taste good doesn't it and and in order to sort of you know make it you know make the taste buds zing we tend to reach for the salt or the pepper and fire you know mainly the salt which is not so great for us we know that but we still tend to put it in anyway because that seems to enhance all the flavors doesn't it 
But that said, one of your tips, which I think is genius, is adding an acid. Now, tell us a bit more about that. So before I get into the acid, one thing I wanted to touch on is that taste is on the tongue, but flavor is all of our senses. So when we want something to taste good, we think it's on our tongue, but it's really not. Actually, your tongue only tastes the five. It does. Yeah. And so a lot of what we actually taste is smell or feel and um, crunch, you know, sound. That's something that we don't even think about. But, you know, a, a great example is a potato chip. If that if you don't hear that crunch, even if it tastes the same on your tongue, it's not as good of a potato chip. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So flavor is really what we want to think about in terms of making things taste better um, because we're using all of our senses and then our brain is telling us if we like it or not. And, and so, you know, we really need to think about all of those senses. Um, But yes, um, adding an acid is a great tip. And one thing about acid is it gives you this little like zing and I don't know about you, but when I taste something that's a little acidic, you know, like my eyebrows go up and I'm like, Ooh, you know, that's exciting. Exactly. Um, And so, you know, have you ever noticed the, you know, lemon or lime wedge that's on the edge of the plate for years? I thought, you know, when I was younger, I thought that was just decoration. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was just to make the plate look good, but actually adding the acid right before you eat it, it's right on top. And it is going to be the first thing that you taste when you put in your mouth and it gives you this little like zing and it adds brightness. So adding some acid and that could be anything. So like tomatoes have acid, Yeah. Um, you know, even adding a little more acid onto those tomatoes. One thing I love to do is, um, adding tomatoes with like maybe some lime or white wine vinegar, just a little splash, just to kind of like brighten it up and make that punch a little more. So yeah. So adding acid, it really just gives you this little like zing. And one thing about making healthy food taste good, we don't have the, the easy way, which is the just salting it to death or adding tons of sugar, we want to enhance those flavors, those natural flavors, and we don't want to mask them. We don't want to hide them. We want to, you know, pair them with things that are going to make them taste better and really, you know, harnessing all of our senses. It can really make things exciting and delicious. And I think that that's it. It's eating and enjoying your food really is a journey, isn't it? And it it, it really is. Um, it, it's it's enhancing all of the senses. And I mean, it, it's and it's a typical. You know, you still say about the smell, and we forget that that is the major one of the major components. I mean, when you sort of see sort of you know sort of um, a, a little child sort of blocking their nose and putting their fingers over their nose so they don't taste something. 
I mean, that is because we're then sort of blocking that sort of the the the, the arom- aromatic sort of side of food, isn't it? And so actually, I, I mean, remind me, what's on the tongue? It's this bitter and sweet, sour, and what is it? What's the other one? So sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and umami, which is savory. Oh, okay, cool. And because those are the things, if you shut your eyes and block your nose, you can sort of take it, it sort of awakens that part of the tongue, but you still don't get that full depth of flavor, do you, without the smell? Right. So, yeah, you only taste those five tastes on your tongue, but the smell helps to. So, all the smell receptors can detect specific chemicals, and those are what tell you, oh, that's vanilla. Yes. Because vanilla is actually bitter. <laughs> So we associate vanilla with sweet, but it's, I mean, if you just go taste some um, vanilla extract, it is not sweet, but we always pair it with sweet things. So we associate it with sweet. Um, And that's actually a little, an extra tip to make things taste sweeter when they're actually not is to add things that we normally pair with sugar, um, like cinnamon. Um, you know, cinnamon by itself is not actually sweet, but when we put a little bit of cinnamon on it, it gives us that sense that we're actually eating something sweeter than we actually are. And that, yeah, right enough. And that's when we sort of, yeah, putting it on sort of apples and sort of things like that, isn't it? It just, I I suppose it's sort of marrying flavors together, isn't it? So, you know, and just being bold about it because it was my birthday yesterday and my husband, bless him, cooked. And actually it was fabulous. You see, it's, 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 it was actually jolly good, but for me, I didn't really care what it what it tasted like because I was just so grateful. There we are. It's it's going back to the mum thing. I was so grateful I didn't have to cook. But he had the wedges on the side, and he had he had um, extra chilies on it, and it really was for something that because it, it was sort of it, there were so many different flavors involved, but each one was sort of enhanced. It make, makes me sound like a domestic god, doesn't it? But uh-huh. each each flavor was enhancing you know, sort of the other ones. And it it really was, it was a roller coaster of of sort of tastes. It was, it was wonderful. But I think we forget, and he actually said as we sat down, I haven't salted this, so you might need it. And and thankfully, you know, it, it made because I was speaking to you, it made me sort of think, no, hang on a minute, let's just see, you know, sort of how, how it tastes. And it was brilliant. But it was using lots of different things that um I think just enhances the overall dish. Yeah. Well, first of all, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, you know, something that you were talking about with the chilies and the heat. One thing that I think is really interesting is that 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 capsaicin in the chilies, it's painful. Like it's actually painful. Why is it that we like heat? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's, it's exciting, you know, it's kind of like adventure seekers, you know, I'm certainly not one of these, but you know, people that jump out of airplanes, why do you do it? You know, you're looking death in the eye. It's exciting. And, you know, I think that that, you know, um, the, uh, the heat, um, or like horseradish that is actually, you know, burning your mouth. It's, it's exciting because you go, oh my gosh, that, oh, that was kind of painful. 
Yes, but uh, you're, you're quite right because um, uh, we we had over lockdown we had my daughter and her fiance and they were staying with us and and every so often we would have um a takeaway, and when we were having sort of you know curries or Thai, his first thing was the hotter the better. Let's just see the you know the the the, the and because for him. It was not only just the taste, but it was all about the sensation, and it was all about the 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 full, I guess, the full body experience. And and you know, Alice doesn't like sort of as spicy things, so she was sort of you know going for slightly milder. And Chris was sort of saying, no, 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 I need, I need to feel, you know, sort of the the I guess the body reaction to this really fiery stuff. How he could taste the rest of the flavors, I have no idea. But for him. He just needed, yes, I guess it was probably the pain of a vindaloo. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's it's all in your brain telling you yeah. what it is that tastes good and getting that input from all the senses. So if he wants the burn and that's going to make it taste good for him, awesome, you know? Well, I, I, I don't know if it was that or, do you know, funnily enough, because what we do whenever we sort of go out or whenever we have different foods, we all sort of have a taste of everyone else's and maybe he just got sick to death of it and had the hottest things and you know none of us would touch it I don't know. <laughs> maybe it was the method to his madness but, yeah uh, yeah but you know and this is this is what we were sort of saying you know one another one of your tips is um so to enhance and concentrate flavor um tell me a little bit about that so thinking about a a soup or even not even a soup or a sauce. Um, so you want to add the most flavor you can get in there. So thinking about reducing some wine. So wine adds flavor. Yeah. Um, so vinegar, vinegar adds flavor. Um, a flavorful stock. So reducing that, you think about if you have a cup of stock. You know, it's got so much flavor in there. When you re reduce it down to a tablespoon or two, then you've taken all of that flavor and you've concentrated it into this one oh, got powerful you. punch. Right. So when you're thinking about cooking and you know, you're making a soup, you're making a sauce, whatever, um, if you concentrate things down and evaporate it off a little bit, you're going to really intensify those, you know, those flavors. And it's just going to give your dish such a, a much more powerful punch. So that's why they're sort of saying, you know, leave on the hob for an extra 20 minutes to reduce. Is that, is that the sort of the, the thought behind it? Yeah, definitely. One thing I will mention is that store-bought stocks um, have a lot of other stuff in them. And so, you know, you can't really reduce it down as much as you could if you made it yourself. Um, and let me tell you, if you can boil water, you can make your own stock. <laughs> it's it's no big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just like trying to concentrate that flavor. And, you know, for the longest time, you know, when I was younger, I didn't use wine at all. And it it gives amazing flavor because it's, you know, an, a fermented product. Um, you're evaporating off the alcohol, but the bacteria that fermented it, it, it adds so much, you know, rich, amazing depth to flavor. 
And so, you know, adding even just a little bit of wine, reducing that down, it is just going to really intensify your dish. Yeah, that's a great idea. Sadly, I don't know if we ever have any dregs of wine left in our house. So um, it's when, whenever I'm looking to do that, I'm, I'm sort of asking, can I open a new bottle, please? <laughs> but um, hey, hey, it's a good excuse for them to finish the rest of it afterwards, isn't it? Exactly. Um, the, the one thing that was an absolute um, a shock for me was and another one of your sort of elevating flavor tips is to let the wait wait for this guys let meat come to room temperature before cooking now tell me about that because that was a real revelation for me you know it sounds so simple and I was really debating about putting it in there but I thought you know what it's so simple and we get into our busy lives and we just you know we don't even think about oh I'm just going to take it out of the refrigerator and stick it in the oven and a big part of flavor is texture and chewy meat, not so delicious, you know, moist, um, flaky, flavorful, you know, so much better. So letting meat come to room temperature, it actually has two kind of facets here. So one is take it out of the refrigerator, put it on whatever pan you're going to use and and salt it. Um, and I guess what I'm talking about is for like, say roasting chicken or something. So you're going to take it out, put it on a pan, salt it. So you're going to let it come to room temperature, but having added the salt, you're letting the salt be incorporated even more deeply rather than just on top. Yeah. So you're going to get, it's going to be more like it's salted all the way through versus just salted on top. So one thing is the salt. The second thing is the temperature. If you think about it, your, um, your meat at, at refrigerated temperature, and I'm in the U S I'm going to use, um, (laughs) I'm going to use non-metric, um, is, you know, what 34, 35 degrees, something like that. So it's cold. And then you take that and you put it in the oven. Well, the outside is going to cook and the inside is still going to be cold. And so you have to cook it longer. So the outside is going to be really tough by the time the inside gets up to temperature. And so, yeah, it makes a huge difference in flavor. Wow. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because I I remember sort of, you know, when I was learning about this, because I think you do learn if you're not taught, you learn by the sort of trip and fall method and trial and error. And whenever I used to sort of do stews, I used to take my my the meat straight from the fridge, bung it in the pan, and I guess everything just contracted. So it was as tough as old boots. And so therefore, I literally had to sort of blast it to within an inch of its life to sort of, you know, try and get any sort of sense of, be it texture, be it whatever, flavor out of it. And and it's sort of by overcooking it, it I mean, it, you just you, you wonder why you bother half the time. And then because it's a rather tough and ordinary, we're then trying to fire more flavor, more salt, more red sauce or whatever it is to try and sort of resurrect it again. So you, you're quite right. Even those simple tips, which actually bringing something to room temperature has got nothing to do. Well, I was going to say nothing to do with the cooking process, but you know what I mean? And it just, but it, it enhances everything, doesn't it? 
It does. And you know what? It's no big deal. It's, you know, you get home from work, school, whatever, take it out, set it on the counter, even if you don't salt it right then, but it, you can at least get it out, do what you need to do. And then, and then just, you know, let it sit there. It, it makes a huge difference. It really does. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that's absolutely brilliant. But we, I mean, we've got, I, I'm sure I, I just, we have touched on salt a lot. And there's just one sort of tip that I would like to talk about because, it, it, and, and that is everything has its own salt, which I sort of didn't, didn't realize. But so we, we, we don't need to keep on adding more salt to our meals, do we? And more to the point, what is the danger if we do? Let's go well, right back to basics. You know, what's what is really funny is a lot of recipes will say, add this much salt. And okay, you know, that's great. But when you're cooking, thinking about each ingredient getting its own little bit of salt. And if you salt through the cooking process, then you're going to add less salt overall than if you add salt all at once. And so what, what I do is let's say I'm, you know, making a soup or something and I have my onions and garlic. I, I add a little bit of salt. Then I add maybe some peppers. Okay. Those get some salt. I add some chicken that gets some salt and everything gets its own salt. You add, you know, a can of tomatoes that gets a little bit of salt and you're adding a tiny bit and i've actually yeah. i've actually like measured this where i added it you know as i go along versus at the end um or in the middle of the cooking and you add less salt overall so you know salt it it gets a bad rap because it has it is in such high volumes in processed foods yeah. and and everywhere but if you cook at home it's going to be hard <laughs> to add more salt than you would get from a, a processed food. Well, that, thank you for that, because that actually makes so much sense. And it's when you're following recipes, it's sort of saying add a pinch of salt here and just, and, and yeah, I, I guess when you do measure it all, this, the amount that's going in throughout the cooking process is a heck of a lot less than when you're grinding it all over the, the, the food, you know, as it's just about to hit the palate, really, isn't it? Well, and if you're salting to taste, <laughs> then, you know, you're going to get a good amount versus if you're just adding it blindly and then yeah. you're just at the mercy of whoever yeah. designed it. Yeah, so cool. Um. I've just got a quick sort of question because we're, we're talking about healthy eating and we're talking about, um, you know, the right choices and educating our kids. Tell me, give me a couple of tips, if you don't mind, about healthy snacks, because, well, flip's sake, we're in the summer holidays now. Parents just sort of say, you know, it looks like a plague of locusts have just hit the kitchen and, and our kids are just eating and grazing the whole time. What can we give them that is healthy and sort of good for them from a snack point of view, as opposed to the biscuits, the the crisps, potato chips, the whatever that 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 are so easy for kids to just grab? What can we have in our store cupboards or in our fridges that is not boring, 
um, and as appealing because you know I've heard so many times don't have those you know don't have that those bag of crisps or chips um, have an apple and it's like are you serious so how can we give them something that's healthy and appealing to for our kids that's a great question and you know one thing is if it's easier to grab something healthy than something that's not healthy then actually kids are more likely to do it. Okay. One thing that I do is I love berries and my kids love berries. So I have a lot of fruit like strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, and I, you know, have them in the refrigerator, but you know, when I make making breakfast, I will pull um, a little carton out, rinse that and put it in a bowl and just yeah. have it on the counter. And then yeah. every time you walk by, it's just sitting there and it grabs your eye. It's brightly colored. And so they'll just walk by and just like grab that. And, you know, by the end of the day, at least one of those cartons is gone. That's fabulous. <clears throat> to tell me, because also, I, I, I'm, we're going back to sugar as we spoke, because with the berries, cherries, fruit is my absolute downfall. Love it to bits. And I re remember going to um, a nutritionist who said, oh, fruit, no, that's an absolute no-no. Look at all the hidden sugars there. You must have vegetables. And I just sort of thought, oh, you've just really, you've just really sort of, you know, rained on my parade here. So tell me about that. Is, is it, is fruit, because I'm with you on berries. I mean, you know, every time. So what's wrong with that? Or is, was that, was I being mis misled or what? Well, you know what? <laughs> Everyone has their own little opinions. Um, I see nothing wrong. If it is a real food, if it is a whole food, I see really nothing wrong with it. Um, yes, fruit has sugar, but it has fiber. Oh. And that is really the key. Yes, you are getting sugar, but it is real. It's real food. And so you eat a strawberry and it goes into your stomach and your stomach is breaking it down and it's extracting those sugars, but it has to work really hard to get those sugars. Oh, cool. So it doesn't spike your blood sugar as much as a soda or even a fruit juice because the juice, it doesn't have the fiber. It doesn't have to work very hard to, to get that sugar. Oh, got you. So, um, I think it was Robert Lustig said, with the poison comes the cure. So with the sugar comes the fiber. And because they're packaged together, it's you're not you're not going to get too much. You're not going to get too much. Um, now that being said, if you have diabetes or something like like that where you need to be watching your sugar, then uh, you know you need to be a little more cognizant. Yeah. But the other thing is that, if you pair it with something with more fat or protein, then even though you're getting the sugar, you're getting fat and protein as yep. well. And so you're not, you're not spiking your blood sugar. And the big thing about spiking your blood sugar is when you spike your blood sugar, you spike your insulin and the insulin is what tells your body to store fat. And so really it's about what is causing your blood sugar to go up too high versus this has sugar in it. Got Anything you. you have with whole food, you know, a whole fruit, it's going to be healthier. You know, you're getting that fiber. It's not going to spike your blood sugar as much as any processed food. 
You're quite right. So if it's a toss-up between a handful of strawberries or a cookie, we know what wins hands down every time, don't we? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, this has been absolutely fantastic, Julie. Thank you so much. And um, I, I there, there is a download. So please, guys, go to the show notes because it is a wealth. It's a mine of information. Um, and it, Julie, thank you for just sort of lifting the lid and giving us ideas how to just put that fun back and that interest back into uh, mealtimes again for families as a whole, for, for whatever age we are. So thank you so much indeed. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've, and, and much, much love. And here is sending you love for your son's healthy recovery because he's in particularly good hands with you at the helm. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Speak soon. Thanks so much for listening to this entire podcast. If you want to help other parents looking for support, then please share this with your friends and family. Because if you find this podcast useful, then they will too. So please share via your social media. If you have any parenting questions, then please give me a shout through my email, which is toolbox at kygraham.com. And I may even use your question as a future podcast episode. If you want to connect, please come and join me on Instagram. Just search for Kai Graham. Also, could you do me a favour, please? Parenting teenagers can feel very confusing and isolating at times. And I believe that it takes a village to raise a child. And we are here to support one another. I'd love it if you would leave a review on iTunes. And a good one, by the way. (laughs) Because when you do, it lets more parents out there know that there is support for them too. Thank you. And as always, this comes with much love.